Today on the Future Real Estate Podcast, we have Greg Dickerson on the show. He is a serial entrepreneur, real estate developer, coach, and mentor. Greg has seen a lot in this industry. He's developed and sold over $250 million of real estate, built and renovated hundreds of custom homes and commercial buildings, developed residential and mixed-use subdivisions, and started 12 different companies from the ground up. He's also just been around for a while, which gives him a really unique perspective on where we're at in the market, in the cycles. And so we talk about how his strategy is changing uh, given at where we're at in the market cycle. He's also an enthu- enthusiast for blockchain and NFTs and how he sees NFTs impacting the real estate landscape. I think you're going to really, really enjoy this episode as much as I did. So let's get into the show. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you looking to add multifamily real estate to your portfolio? Symphony Capital Group, a private real estate equity group based in San Diego, California, makes it easy to get started investing in commercial real estate. Symphony Capital helps investors build wealth by providing passive investment shares to large, cash-flowing, multifamily buildings across the country. Owning private real estate shares in these deals allows investors to own real estate without the hassle, but with all of the benefits, including tax write-offs, cash flow, and the large upside from appreciation typical in commercial real estate. If interested, head to symphonycapitalgroup.com and sign up as an accredited investor. Each deal is funded on a first-come, first-served basis and made available first to those who are signed up as investors. Symphony's focus on finding, funding, and managing real estate investment properties allows you to focus more times on the things you love. Head now to symphonycapitalgroup.com to get started. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, good to see you, Ellis. Thanks for having me back. Hey, guys, this, this guy needs no introduction. He's all over the internet. Uh, great YouTube channel. If you're not following him, make sure you're following Greg Dickerson. I've been in this industry a long time. Uh, but Greg, for those who've been living in a box and maybe don't know you and don't follow you on, on YouTube, just a, a quick brief of your of your bio and what you're, you know, you're, you're up to in this space. And we're going we're gonna to get into a lot, especially real estate and crypto today. But give folks a little context on kind of where you've been and, and maybe even more focused on what you're doing today. Yeah, yeah. So my entrepreneurial journey began in 1997. So I'm a serial entrepreneur, real estate developer, real estate investor. I also invest in stocks and crypto and uh, and real more heavily in crypto here over the last year or so. Didn't go to college, went in the Navy right out of high school, did four years, got out of the Navy, worked a couple of corporate jobs and always had a side business. And then, like I said, in 1997, I started my first little company, a little remodeling handyman company, built that into a $30 million business in seven years, sold it started 12 other companies along the way, sold all those and reinvested all the profits into real estate, you know, started developing commercial, multifamily, mixed use, subdivisions, things like that. So uh, that's, that's what I've done my whole career. And so now I'm, I'm on the back half of my career and, you know, I've got my school of entrepreneurship, you know, where I have courses and coaching programs, I guess, like you do as well. And, uh, and then, like I said, you know, more so in the last year or so, mostly focused on stocks and crypto with the way the markets are and the volatility, you know, with the markets right now. Yeah. So let's jump into that. I find that incredibly interesting, you know, so, I mean, what, what is, what is that conversation? You know, let's say we're sitting down, you know, I mean, even right now we're sitting around, let's say we have a cocktail in our hand and we start talking about investing, you're big into crypto and stocks. I mean, what's evolved or what's changed? do you think that's that's giving you an eye towards this and then i want to get into how that's impacting real estate but but what fundamentally has changed for you that's that's gotten you interested as an investor in this so i'm opportunistic so i i look for value wherever i can find it i look for big moves big swings and you know my first you know jump into the markets were in 0809 at the bottom that's when i got into the stock market for the first time so i'm not afraid to take big risk 
So for everybody listening, stocks and crypto are extremely risky right now, extremely risky, given the current economic environment we're in and with the Fed pulling back. That's why I'm interested in it right now, because you got a lot of big moves, big swings, and that's what I like to do. I like to catch the bottom of these big swings and then you know sell them at the top. So swing trading is more longer term positions versus day trading. I will do some of those if there's big moves like... I was scout, uh, scouting Netflix today. It dropped 35%. Wow. So yeah, yeah. I had a buy order in at $205. It didn't hit it, but it might, you know, get, there might be some more downside coming, but that's the kind of stuff I look for. I look for stuff that's, you know, have these huge drops, but it's still a good company. They still have good revenues. It's just repricing, right? Kind of like distressed real estate. Yep. So to me, stocks are kind of that way. Crypto is a different animal because you have Bitcoin, which is one thing to me, I look at Bitcoin like digital property, and that's how it's classified by the IRS. You know, to me, Bitcoin is like a piece of real estate, and cryptos are different. Cryptos are like companies, or like venture capital or equity capital. So I look at those separately than I do Bitcoin. And in venture capital, you can put bets on you know twenty or thirty different projects. You know, one of them may pay off. Bitcoin is more longer term. You know, it's it it, it doesn't have the ask ask you know attributes of these other projects. It's you know, it's more of a, you know, consistent thing that is what it is moving forward. And a lot more people are interested from an institutional scale in Bitcoin and Ethereum, which is more like an internet kind of play, like a browser. You know, I look at Ethereum, you know, kind of like uh, Microsoft or Google or something like that. It's a bigger play. The institutions are more in interested in those than some of the other, you know, just basically, you know, what, what are amount of pyramid schemes and you know, what a pyramid is, you know, you bring more money in and the people at the top get paid and you got to right. keep the money coming in for the pyramid to keep going. And a lot of them are flat out, you know, schemes. So you got to be real careful. So like allocation your portfolio, when you say, you you know, you're in crypto right now, I mean, is this 10%? Is this 50%? Is this 1%? Like how focused on this are you really? Yeah, it's a very small percentage right now. I'm probably heavier than I should be. So it's, it's 10 to 20% on any, any given move of total cash. So, you know, stocks, I'll go a little heavier, but, you know, crypto, it's, it's very fickle. You know, you have to be real careful because you get big moves up and down, you know, daily, and you just never know when the rug can get pulled out from under you. So, right. Uh, right. you know, that's, that's not something you want to take big risks in, but I know a lot of people that are all in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. You know, I mean, it, and it is the more you get into this crypto crowd, you know, for, from a real estate investor, you know, I, I, I'm sure you remember the days, it wasn't that long ago, five or six years ago, where it was like real estate from in the real estate crowd, crypto was like, don't touch it, you know, in the sense of like, who knows where it's going to go. I think all of those folks wish they were in crypto now, right? So, well, you know, that was me. I mean, I first heard the word Bitcoin, I don't know, 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. And it was a guy that was working for me, uh, one of my subcontractors and I asked him how he was doing, how was business? He said, I'm retiring. And I'm like, you're retiring. He said, yeah, Bitcoin. And he showed me his phone and he had $800,000 in Bitcoin. I think he started with like 2000 bucks or something. I'm like, what is this? So he starts telling me about it. And of course, you know, I look at it and I'm like, man, that's just crazy. You know, that's, that's not even a real thing, you know? So I started watching it and, you know, I watched it go up to 6,000, drop down to, you know, a few hundred dollars and it went up to 20,000, dropped back down to 3000. Right. And then, you know, when it, you know, rallied up to 20 and dropped back down, you know, in March of 2020, I started really paying attention to it after the pandemic sell-off because, you know, I was watching stocks and I was watching crypto and I'd been tracking Bitcoin and I saw that floor get put in right at about $3,500. And I said, you know what, that's what happened the last time after, you know, the, the 20, you know, 17, 2018 peak. 
it dropped down to about 3,500 bucks. And I'm like, here's, you know, the worst economic uncertainty we've seen since 2008 and nine, and it, it floored at 3,500. So I, I felt pretty safe to go in at that point and, you know, make some trades, but I got out on the way up, you know, once it hit 20, I was out. And then I had no idea it would go to 60. So, you know, now I've seen where it can go. And, you know, like I said, in real estate, it, as a developer, as an investor, if I can make 20, 30%, you know, on a, on a project, that's kind of what developers shoot for, right? And investors shoot for, you know, you can make that daily and multiple times a day on, on these crypto plays, if you know what you're doing. So that's where the kind of light bulb went off for me is, you know, looking at it from that perspective. And for everybody watching, you know, you don't need a lot of money. You know, you can start with $1,000. I think it is. Yeah. If you start with $1,000 and you, you make 100 trades or, you know, plus or minus and you earn 10% on each trade, that's a million bucks. So, I mean, you could do the math a number of ways and say, hey, if I want to make a million dollars off a thousand, you can reverse engineer that a lot of different ways, you know, whether it's daily or whatever, but really with a hundred trades, you know, plus or minus, you know, might be 97, 98, the exact math on it. You can turn a thousand bucks into a million bucks by making just 10% on each of those trades. You're not going to win them all. You know, some you'll make, some you'll lose, but averaging out, you know, over, you know, a hundred trades of a positive 10%. You know, that's how easy that is in stocks or in crypto. And that's what's kind of interesting about it. And then there's some you can get that in one trade, you know, if you yeah. get into the right thing at the right time. So, you know, let, let me let's let me talk about your uh, how you're hedging that in portfolio. But then I want to get into how you see this influencing, impacting real estate and as a whole. I mean, as an investor, Greg, you're an entrepreneur, you're an investor. Do you still are you still long on real estate and hey, this is this is kind of a if it works awesome. If it doesn't, well, at least I'm still backed by what I you know what I know. Or are you moving towards hey, I, I'm still I'm long on crypto. I mean, tell me tell me your your philosophy there, just as an investor and kind of how you're thinking about this long long term. Yeah, so I'm managing my own fund, you know, so I'm looking for the biggest margins I can find with the short you know least amount of time, energy, and effort possible. And with the way the markets have been lately, that's just where it's at. So I'm still a real estate guy, first and foremost. That's where I came from. And to me, that's where my preservation of wealth plays are. That's mm -hmm. where my long term is, is real mm -hmm. estate. You know, stocks and crypto are my speculative games right now because real estate's just maxed out. You know, yeah. it's we're, we're at a tipping point in real estate right now. So I'm not really doing a whole lot there because my business model is different than a lot of other people. You know, I'm not looking for the, you know, value add kind of thing, you know, that, that type of stuff. I'm an opportunistic you know, investors. So I still like to do heavy value add, ground up, opportunistic kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm through all my projects as of the end of last year. But, um, you know, right now, where I'm really focused is, you know, the stocks and crypto, because these markets are going to bottom out. And then we're going to have, you know, opportunities like we haven't seen since 2008, and nine, and really March 2020, that was a life changing opportunity for a lot of people. You know, that one was a really, really good time. Uh, so once I get through these cycles, then I take that and put it in real estate long-term. Wow. You just kind of maybe changed the direction of my conversation. I really want to, you, you know, well, the, you have to we, know what you're doing and you got to be on it, you know? So it's not like this isn't easy, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, and you have to be willing to take some risk, but there are some big game changing moves coming up between the stocks and cryptos. You know, once, once we, you know, bottom out and we get some more clarity, I mean, we have the war going on. Uh, we have the Fed just getting ready to get started. They haven't done anything yet. Uh, and the markets are already reacting and anticipating what they're going to do. So we, you know, we've got a lot of things that we're dealing with and we haven't seen 
the full effects of the supply chain issues we're having in China right now because of lockdowns, rising interest rates, uh, the inflationary environment that we're in, inflation is real and it's getting worse. We haven't seen the effects of those things yet. So you gotta be real careful. That's why the markets can be good if you know what you're doing. Uh, but at the same token, you can get wiped out quick because you yeah. know, markets can, they can tail off from here and take years to come back. So you gotta be real careful. So speculate with me a little bit, Greg, you know, we're not holding anything. Would you say that there's, do you fall in the camp of inflation's there because of supply and, and that will essentially work itself out over the next several months as, as that bottleneck eases up? Or do you think, you know, this continues longer term and that's going to have a bigger impact on the real estate? I mean, you, you talk about you're kind of out right now waiting for bigger opportunities. What is that? Because... I don't know. I um, think maybe go. Why, why yeah, do you real estate's repricing because of interest rates. So we're going to go through a retrade repricing, which we've gone through in stocks. On the inflation point, some of it will subside when supply chains open a little bit. Asset inflation is already starting to reprice. Well, it's deleveraging. So we had the first down leg, which was deleveraging. Now we're going through a repricing. Companies like Netflix, you know, when real earnings come out and real effects of where we're at in the economy, you know, stocks will start to reprice. Cryptos are a little bit different from, from that aspect because there's a big network effect right there. And it's kind of the meme, you know, factor at play there. So uh, ultimately, long term, you know, Bitcoin is going to reprice. You know, some of these huge targets that a lot of people have just aren't realistic. You know, right now it takes too much capital and there's a lot of manipulation and, you know, a lot of uh, fraud going on in that industry. So that this still needs to be worked through for that price to really level out where it's going to end up going. Uh, and especially for Bitcoin, you know, becoming that store of value that it was, you know, really ultimately going to be like a digital gold. But as far as inflation goes, you have real wages that are increasing. Um, that's not going to go, you know, back up anytime soon because you still have more jobs and you have people willing to take them. So that has to correct before you'll see wages come down or, you know, change. So prices have adjusted to, you know, uh, compensate for wage inflation. Uh, you've, you've got a lot of companies now that have um, pulled back that are producing less, but making more. That's going to continue. There's really no incentive for a company to produce more with less margins when they've realized, wait a minute, we're way more profitable producing less and charging more. So that's going to continue. Automobile manufacturing, you know, for instance, you know, a lot of the companies are, are you know, talking about, well, we're not, we're not going to ramp up production. You know, of course, you know, the oil industry until we become you know, uh, self-sufficient from an alternative energy standpoint, you know, fuel is, is not coming down anytime soon. And there's no incentive for, you know, oil producers to reduce their prices if they don't have to. So, you know, some of this will subside, but the effects of the war and what we need to, we need to do to replace, you know, the, the stock there, you know, we have to ramp up defense spending, replace all the munitions that we're sending. You know, we have to continue to build our military. So that, you know, stimulates the economy there, which creates more inflation. So, you know, really the only way to get inflation in check is to put the, you know, economy in a recession. And right now there's too much demand, you know, right now they have to really raise interest rates uh, to a level that's going to really slow down demand. And, and, you know, for people that don't understand the correlation between raising rates and, you know, tapering inflation, when you raise rates, it gets more expensive uh, to do things. So companies can't uh, borrow as much, you know, homeowners can't pull equity out of their homes and borrow as much because house prices are going to correct and come down. So they can't tap that equity. It gets too expensive to do it. You know, so that, you know, sucks the liquidity out of the economy out there and creates, you know, contraction, which creates st stagflation, right? So you have low 
uh, growth and you have high inflation. So that's kind of where we're heading. So I don't see any of this inflation subsiding anytime soon, but some of it will once, you know, general supply chains open back up. That was a, a quick masterclass on uh, microeconomics, by the way, if anyone, if you need to record this podcast and go listen to that again. But I mean, what I'm hearing you say doesn't necessarily change the strength of the economy right now, right? So I, I guess what I'm questioning for you, Greg, is like, you say you're kind of sitting, you finish out your products in 2021 and waiting for the next opportunity. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I just didn't hear that in what you just predicted. Yeah, we're going to raise interest rates, but it doesn't seem like we're heading towards big recession. Am I wrong in that? Or uh, help me uh, help me clarify kind of your position of, I see some bigger opportunities coming in the real estate, maybe a repricing. Talk to clarify that for me a little bit. Yeah, so I see, you know, from a, from a recessionary standpoint, recession is just negative growth, you know, two consecutive quarters. Yeah. You're going to get that when price is correct. So, you know, you're going to have right now, we've had positive growth a lot because prices have gone up so much. So there's still a lot of demand out there until you destroy demand, the economy is going to remain strong. And what the Fed is saying right now is the economy is really strong so we can really raise interest rates. Well, most of the people like millennials, they've never seen rates at 5%. So that's a mental threshold and a financial threshold for a lot of people, a lot of millennials out there when it comes to credit cards, when it comes to, you know, mortgage rates, you know, things like that. Um, so it's going to take a while for those things to kind of work their way through the economy to create any kind of a slowdown. And again, right now you have more jobs and you have people willing to take them. So generally a recession is created with low demand, which creates unemployment. Companies lay off, they cut back, you know, things like that. Right now we can't even keep up. So there's a little bit of a correction there that has to happen first before you can round the curve to a recessionary environment, which ultimately is what needs to be created to bring prices back in check. Remember, the Fed's mandate is two things, stable prices and low rates. Um, you know, that's that's their or low inflation, you know, stable prices and well rates, you know, low rates and stable prices. That's their uh, mandate that they have at the Fed or I'm sorry, employment, full employment and stable prices. Um, you know, that's what they're they're trying to do. And the two kind of correlate with each other now. From the standpoint of the moves I'm looking to make, I'm waiting for real estate to reprice because as rates go up, you know, for investment properties, you know, cap rates will adjust, prices will come down. We're already starting to see deals fall apart, retrade, lenders backing out. You know, you're already starting to see a little bit of those effects. The residential market, same thing. So as a developer, I don't want to go out there and take risk and build a bunch of houses now at current cost. And then six months, nine months, 12 months down the road, I'm delivering these things when prices have dropped you know, 10, 20, 30%. And, you know, that's a big correction, but it will happen in some markets in some areas. You know, uh, once rates reach a certain point, you know, you, you will get, uh, you know, a correction in those prices. And we've seen it happen over and over. Uh, you know, 2018, last time the Fed raised rates, the real estate market came to a halt. But from a commercial real estate standpoint, it's all about cash flow. And, you know, you've got to, uh, you know, remain, maintain a certain debt service coverage ratio so, you know, if your rates are at 5%, you know, you can't pay uh, for, you know, three cap, stabilized three cap and make that work unless you bring additional equity to the deal. Then, you know, that's not going to work because you can't pay it back. Rents are the big thing that concern me in, in, you know, the housing market because they've grown so fast to a percentage of income to where it's getting to a point where people are moving because they can't afford the rents and governments, you know, municipalities are taking notice and they're talking about rent controls. 
So, you know, that's what happens, you know, when you start getting ahead of the curve on rent growth and things like that, right. wage inflation is not keeping up with rent growth. So, you know, those yeah. are the things I'm seeing. So I'm opportunistic and I'm optimistic, but, you know, I'm waiting for that correction. You know, I want to see what's going to happen. And, you know, I could be totally wrong and things keep going, but that's not what history tells us. Well, that's you know, really interesting. Track- I mean, we're, you know, we're boots on the ground. We're making offers, buying deals in some of the hot markets like Dallas. I do, I don't see any price retrading, but what, here's what I see happening right now, Greg, is that sellers are very motivated to get things. If they want to sell, or if they don't want to hold on to these deals for longer than 24 months, they want to get something under contract, which, you know, is, I think maybe creating better terms for buyers you know, price is not the most primary, um, is not the the most important thing anymore. It's terms, it's certainty of close, which if you're a buyer and you're long-term on a market or an asset, that could bode very well for you because now's the time to start owning some deals. But again, make sure you're long-term, make sure your DSCR is, is really good. But I am seeing that on the ground of like, things are beginning to shift, not necessarily fundamentally wise, still getting strong revenue growth, rent growth. I'm just seeing from a almost like a, you know, a mental shift happening. And that can be very big though. And that that you're right, that can trickle down into a lot of things. So that's really interesting that you point a lot out. Let me ask you a question. Still don't understand this. Uh call it um call it youthfulness. Today, as we're recording this episode on April 20th, uh 420, Mortgage rates, thirty-year mortgage rates are six point. Uh, what did I just look that up? Did it, it might just, it almost like feels weird to say that out loud. So <laughs> I need to. I need to say that six point seven five. Is that what I just said? Yes. Thirty-year fixed average rates are six point seven. That's almost seven percent, Greg. That's insane. Well, I don't know when's the last time we've seen that. You know, but commercial rates so far is still where it's been for a long time. What is causing? that why is that such why is that so different where we're being quoted four four and a quarter on large commercial loans where 30-year mortgage is almost seven percent today yeah it's well it's a different animal and you know when you look at that number that's not for every borrower in every market you know that's that might be an average or something but you can still get rates lower than that but generally you know it's it's the investor pool going after those those deals so you know, commercial is different than residential from the, the capital that's going into those deals and the institutions. You know, of course, you have Freddie and Fannie that, you know, are government backed. They have a pool of funds that they're trying to put on the street. So it's capital competing for deals. Whereas in the residential market, you know, it's a very different animal, very different amount of capital, you know, going after those deals. And that's based on the 10 year note. Right. So what the investors are looking at is they're looking at, OK, 30 year mortgages are X. Treasuries are X. Treasuries have no risk. They're guaranteed no risk, you know, premium on that, whereas real estate has risk. Mm-hmm. And residential has, you know, more risk than commercial, because right now commercial is seen, especially multifamily, as the lowest risk segment of the real estate market right now in terms of risk profile, even versus single family. So it's all about the capital chasing the deals and, you know, the yield that you have to offer to attract the capital. So as rates go up, yeah, it's funny you say that. Like my first house was, you know, 9% interest rates. And, you know, I'm used to seeing, you know, 9 and 10% interest on construction loans, things like that. So where we've come from is a very unique environment in the history of the interest rate, you know, cycle. And, you know, the Fed's been trying to get that rate up and they haven't been able to do it. So, 
you know, we'll see where it ultimately ends up. But, you know, when you start talking about mortgage rates, if it really gets to the point to where it's 6%, I mean, you're talking about the affordability, you know, of the average home being cut in half. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, think about California, man. What that, that's a, that's a dip. That's not even house. That's neighborhoods of, in terms of affordability, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's not like, Oh, I got to buy a smaller house. No, dude, you don't even get to move into that neighborhood anymore. Yeah. And the biggest risk out there is a lot of these deals, especially in the commercial space, have all been done on, you know, floating rate debt. Yeah. So there's a lot of those that are going to reset. So if you bought a deal with a floating rate, you know, and, and you didn't buy a cap, well, you're in real trouble if, it, if the rates adjust to, you know, five. Well, the cap's only two years as well, right? So some of those caps are going to come, are going to expire here real soon as well. But I mean, again, we haven't seen this though, like rates are still low. I mean, again, we're still only being quoted for, we're still being quoted for right now on our commercial loans. So yeah. I haven't seen that movement happen in the commercial space yet. Not to say it can't go there. We'll see what the Fed does in these next meetings. But that that's my, that was my, yeah, Question you got to get you, you got to get north of five percent in the commercial market to really start making a big dent. Right. But, you know, you, there are you know, like I said, there are some pockets, and you know, the people I'm working with, we're starting to hear you know pushback. We're starting to see lenders pull funding at the closing table. Um, you know, so you'll you'll start to see some of those things happening, and you know, I'm hearing it out there in different areas. But uh, you know, Freddie and Fannie still have a mandate. They still have a you know a pile of cash they got to put out on the street. So that's why okay. that you know, that's happening right now. Once that right. resets, it's going to go up. So they're still working off that previous pool that they've got commitments at those levels. So once they, you know, once, once that's done and, you know, the, you know, the fed prime rate, and the other thing is the fed hadn't done anything yet. So that, that's the other thing. So right. they haven't done anything yet. So we haven't seen the rates actually, well, I mean, what they hike a quarter of a point. Quarter, quarter, so yeah. yeah, that's the big thing. It hasn't happened yet. So once that fed funds rate starts going up, you know, the next half a point rate hike, you know, we'll probably start to see over 5%. And if they start releasing their balance sheet, you know, they're selling treasuries into the market, um, you know, that's going to jack treasury rates up. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, when the Fed actually takes action, what the results are going to be, but it doesn't happen overnight. You know, that's the other thing. So a lot of people don't realize what I'm talking about. This isn't going to happen overnight. Even what well, rates have gone up in the residential market pretty darn fast. You know, right. we that's a lot faster than I thought they were going to go up. But even that, you know, because of the inventory levels in the residential market and the amount of investor cash buyers that are out there, granted, a lot of those are levered up. The institutional cash buyers are level, levered up. That's going to stop because, you know, their, their borrowing power is going to dissipate as rates go up, but very different environment. So it's going to take probably six months or so to start to see a huge impact in the residential housing market with rates north of, you know, 6%, if that's where they are. And, you know, you can't get a better rate than that. Um, but you know, commercial takes a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. I wish, I wish we had time for another beer so we could talk about, uh, well, let, let me at least get your input on this. I'm, I need to have you back on the show to talk about this topic. Cause I know you're interested in it too. Uh, NFTs and kind of their impact on real estate, real estate investing. How much, how much have you went down that rabbit hole that you can share in the 10 minutes we have together? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a great video on my YouTube channel where I did an interview with Proppy. They they are the ones doing these um, real estate NFT auctions where they're auctioning off properties as real estate NFTs. But long story short, what they do and what it is, is they create an LLC that owns the property. They file it at the courthouse so that it's filed once. And then that way they're selling that, uh, they turn that LLC into an NFT, which is just a digital file. That's all an NFT is. 
and they sell that. Now the digital file has some properties in it where you know the owner and the broker can pay a uh, royalty every time that NFT sells, which I've I've done in development deals. By the way, you can put that in the deed. You know, as a as a trans as a transfer fee every time the deed transfers, you get paid as the developer. Just a little nugget out there for anybody mm-hmm. who's developing, where you can get ongoing royalties. Some states you can't do it, but uh, so that's really what it is in a nutshell. They're just recording an LLC at the you know at the courthouse you know deed, and then they take that LLC and that's what transfers from that point on. So you never have to go back and re-record. So anybody can buy that that NFT anywhere in the world and own that property because uh, it's basically just an LLC. Interesting. And are you? Do you think that's something that you would begin to, I mean, as you start to you know develop again, or like how they're doing that as a company, but how do you see that kind of coming mainstream and maybe impacting your your investment strategy or the way that you do deals in the future? You know, in terms of the technology of the blockchain where these transactions are recorded, I can see that becoming more and more of a thing because it's so much more efficient than, you know, literally recording a piece of paper at the courthouse. So will that ever get replaced? I don't know. Will it all go digital? You know, I don't know. So that's ultimately the efficiency of what's what's transpiring and what's happening. You know, real estate's tricky. You know, so it can work for certain properties that are just postage stamp, everything is good. You know, you do the title search, meet and bound, survey, all that. You know, nothing ever changes. You can't develop it. You can't change it. It can work for those types of properties. But when you get into more complicated, tricky kind of properties and you're trying to subdivide, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. But if you're talking about a condo in a building or, you know, a single family home on a postage stamp lot, you know, it's all pretty straightforward. You know, it, it works. And basically the whole idea is it just streamlines that transaction, you know, from soup to nuts and, and you know, it can be done instantly versus having to go, you know, 30 days or whatever it takes to do all the different things. Problem with real estate is, you have all the inspections, you know, things like that, and you have fair housing and you, know, you have all these other different things that can kind of complicate the process. So it's, right. I mean, there's only been three of them done so far. So we're at the very beginning of where this ultimately can go. A real estate NFT is nothing more than simplifying and digitizing the recordation of title and ownership. That's what that is. So that ownership can be instantly transferred through a digital, you know, format and then you get into tokenization, which is a whole different thing, you know, and that's almost like syndication where you're, you know, you the tokens are shares and, you know, you're selling shares, but that gets into, you know, SEC and, you know, even more complicated than a, than a syndicated LLC, you know, uh, as far as the tokenization goes, but, and then you have to have somebody that kind of tracks all that stuff and, you know, things like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's early and it's complicated, but it's, ultimately can simplify and streamline, you know, real estate recordation and transfers. Which I think we both would agree is prime for disruption. So, I mean, the blockchain is not going anywhere. It's here to stay. It's going to impact every arena of our lives. To think that it wouldn't impact real estate, I think is is naive. So we'll see. You're right. I mean, really curious to see how this flushes out. Um, I don't know if you've heard about, I'm sure you know, Michael Flight, he's hosting and I'm actually co-hosting with him the Blockchain Real Estate Summit. And so, uh, Greg, we actually should should figure out how to get you on stage, man. But for anyone listening, if you're interested in that topic, uh, go to blockchainrealestatesummit.com. And uh, that's going to be in Austin, Texas. That's a live in-person event. I'm really excited to be attending and hosting. And so, uh, Greg, invite you as well. Blockchainrealestatesummit.com. Go check that out. That's uh, later this year in Austin, Texas. Yeah, cool. 
So, uh, Greg, this was fascinating. Really great combo as always. I know we've gotten to speak a few times together, and I just love hearing your your perspective on the market and deals and entrepreneurship. So thank you. I'm a big follower of your YouTube channel as well. And so, guys, make sure you go check out Greg's YouTube channel. Uh, this will be on YouTube, uh, on my YouTube channel at Ellis Hammond. And so uh, make sure make sure you're following us both there. Greg, besides YouTube, where else can uh, can folks follow around or is that the best place to, to, to go learn about you? Yeah, gregdickerson.com. That's where all of my uh, social media profiles live. They're all the links are there and everything I do. So gregdickerson.com. You can find my YouTube channel there, podcast and Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Awesome. Gregdickerson.com. Guys, go check him out. Thanks again, Greg. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. All right.